Well, thank you, Mackenzie. Good morning, everybody. Hey there. So, Bible. I got my notes. I got my hug from Kyoma earlier. I think I have everything I need for this to be a good morning. So once again, I am glad that you're here today, whether you're joining us in person or online. Um, I'm always glad that you're here, but I'm, 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 I'm especially glad that you're here today because today we're going to talk about what, what, or, what, what we are going to talk about is Jesus's favorite thing to talk about. And because we're going to explore Jesus's favorite topic of conversation, I, I for one don't want to go any further without inviting him into this conversation. So I, I know we just prayed. We pray a lot around here, so you're probably used to it by now. But I want to invite you to pray with us one more time. Pray that, pray that God would open your heart and, and enable you to get excited about what gets Jesus excited. Pray with me. Father, in the name of King Jesus, we invite an invasion of the Spirit to revolutionize the way we think about you and how we interact with you. Revolutionize the way that we think about and how we, how we interact with those around us. We pray that you would revolutionize the way we think about and how we understand ourselves. And our role in your mission to heal the world. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear your voice. And give us the faith to live the life that you are calling us to live. As always, I pause for just a moment to selfishly ask and, and if I'm being honest, beg. Spirit, come and steady my rowdy heart. Bring clarity to my mind and anoint these stammering lips of clay to be a good steward of your word. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 So anybody in the room um, in marketing, advertising, is that what you do for a living? I, I'm going to pretend there, like there's like 80 hands up because these lights are so bright. I can't really actually see anything beyond the first couple of rows. Uh, well, well, whether you're in advertising or not, you should, you should know that in 1970, the average person in America saw somewhere between about 500, maybe up to 1,600 advertisements a day. Well, fast forward uh, about 37 years, and in 2007, this marketing research firm, Yanklovich, they reported that the average consumer in 2007 saw somewhere in the neighborhood of 5,000 ads a day. Well, hold on. <laughs> in fact, you would probably have been uh, one of the 4,110 people that they surveyed. Uh, half of that group, they said, advertising is out of control. Well, as of 2021, which means these numbers are not current, as of 2021, it is estimated that the average person is inundated with anywhere from 6,000 to 10,000 ads every single day. So in the battle for your business, marketing companies know that a good tagline goes a long way towards getting your attention. Marketing guru Ryan Robinson, he defines a tagline as a memorable motto or phrase 
that's designed to serve as a permanent expression of your company's greater purpose and mission. He says taglines are long-lasting, instantly recognizable with your brand, and have the goal of both attracting customers and remaining top of mind with your existing audience. Now, I think that's an incredible definition, but it's also a lot of words. So let's distill this down. A tagline tells people your purpose and mission in a way that instantly connects that phrase to your brand. It gets people's attention and it sticks in people's brains. So let's play a game. And I need your help on this. Don't leave me hanging. We're going to play a game. When I, You know how this works. When I say, just do it, you think... That's right. How about this one? I bet you can't eat just one. Lays. There we go. All right. How about, how about, do you know this one? Have it your way. Oh, we had, we had one wrong answer. Somebody said McDonald's. That's all right. With the exception of that one person, uh, we instantly <clears throat> we instantly connect these phrases to these brands. But taglines they they work the opposite way too. I'm gonna give you some companies. How about this? How about uh, when I say Wheaties, you think that it is the what? Breakfast of champions. Okay, now this one has been a little weird in in the in the previous two services. So let me throw this one out. Dunkin' Donuts. Well, I, I heard somebody over here. America runs on Duncan. That's their latest slogan. There was a, apparently a, a really popular one back in the day, whenever, whenever back in the day is, but, uh, but this is their current one. So apparently Duncan Donuts, at least in Utah, needs to, needs to step up their advertising, but okay. So that one was a little bit difficult, but I know you're going to get the next one because who doesn't love Samuel L. Jackson and Jennifer Garner? Capital One. Exactly. I even heard somebody do the intonation. That was awesome. That's how good they are. Okay, so we're gonna do we're gonna do we're gonna do one more. Are you ready? Jesus. What's Jesus's tagline? What was that? Love one another. Anybody else? Love God. Love others. Savior. Okay. Love. These are awesome. They're so awesome. If I were writing a book on this topic, those would all be in there under the not quite answers. <laughs> and I say that with a smile. I'm just being playful with you. I mean, it's true. They're not the answer, but so, so let's think about this. What's Jesus's tagline? What phrase conveys Jesus's purpose and mission in a way that gets people's attention and sticks in people's brains? What tagline? Think about a tagline. How you cannot you cannot hear a Nike ad or watch a Nike ad without this thing appearing on the screen. So so the same thing goes for Jesus. And the good news is Jesus gives it to us. It is the single thing that he talks about more than anything else. In fact, here's your first piece of Bible trivia. About fifty times. I'm sorry, fifty times. Fifty times in Matthew's gospel alone. He talks about this. Now, let's put that in perspective. In my Bible, um, uh, the, the Gospel of Matthew is a little under 30 pages, but let's just round it up to 30 because, as we all know, I'm not good at math. Uh, so 50 divided by 30 means approximately 1.67 times per page Jesus talks about this. 
You flip over to the gospel of Mark 16 times over 16 chapters. This is the most important thing to him. Uh, It is said about Jesus in the first chapters of Luke and John, but it is the first thing out of the mouth of Jesus whenever he begins his public ministry in Matthew and in Mark. What's Jesus's purpose and mission? The primary message that he was constantly proclaiming. What, what, what is it that he wants us to think about when we think about him? Mark 1, 15. The time has come, he said. And here it is. The kingdom of God has come near. And he follows it up. Repent and believe the good news. What Jesus talks about more than anything else, 50 times in Matthew's gospel alone, is the kingdom of God, or the other way of saying it, the kingdom of heaven. More than anything else, this is what Jesus talks about. And these two phrases, uh, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, they're synonymous, okay? You can swap them out. But they, 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 they can also lead to a little bit of confusion, because when we think of the word, when we hear the word kingdom, we naturally think of a place, There's nothing wrong with that, but in Greek and in Hebrew, kingdom more refers to to activities and actions, the things that happen under the rule and during the reign of a king. So with this understanding of kingdom, think about Jesus's language. The kingdom has come near. See, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, he's not talking about some place that you get to someday. He's talking about something that is happening, has happened around us, and we can be a part of it right now. Now, inherent in in Jesus's proclamation, there, there is embedded this invitation because he says, the kingdom is here and it's happening. You in? You in? See, God's kingdom, not a location, but a life under his rule and his reign, defined by his character and his actions, his way of engaging with the hurting world around us and the world of hurt so often we find within us. God's kingdom, ruled and rooted in his hope and in his love, defined by his peace and built on, thank the Lord, his stability, not mine. His reign that always brings redemption and always ends in restoration. The kingdom has come and he asks, You in? Jesus is announcing an invitation to be a part of what he is doing right now. Bringing the kingdom. See, it's kind of like this. We've talked a little bit about this already this morning, but it's kind of like I get excited when I'm walking around the office during the week and all of a sudden I begin to hear whispers. A worship night is coming. We're trying to figure out a day. A worship night is coming. See, once I get wind of it, I'm waiting in anticipation for someone to make the announcement. But more importantly, I'm waiting for someone to invite me to be a part of it. Happened last Friday. Tim sends me a message announcing, hey, bro, worship night pushed back one week. By the way, you want a glimpse into Tim's mind? Uh, hey, bro, is the, is the equivalent of behold in the Bible. Okay, this is how he's trying to get your attention. Something big's coming. All right, that's my, that's, that's my boy, Tim. But he immediately follows up this text with the invitation, you in? (laughs) And come on, because that man is just so darn cute, I can't say no to him, so I followed up right away with count me in. Now, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice something about Tim's words, and I want you to notice something about our conversation. 
this invitation, it came when something went wrong. We were supposed to have a worship night last week, but things did not go according to plan. See, Jesus makes his announcement and offers his invitation in a time when nothing seems to go to be going according to plan. And it's not just a worship night that is falling apart. It, it is a world that seems like it's falling apart. See, the verse prior to Jesus' announcement, it tells us this. After John was in prison, John, the baptizer, the guy who paved the way for Jesus, the God who, or the guy who his parents were, were visited by angels and the Holy Spirit to say, you're going to pave the way. That guy, he's in prison. And that's when Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he says. The good news of the kingdom, or the, or the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe that good news. John's in prison. Galilee is being run by Herod, a Jewish puppet king that is far more concerned with, with, with serving Rome than he is serving his own people. Oh, and speaking of Rome, the empire is, is, is oppressing the Jewish people and taxing them all the way into poverty. And here comes Jesus. Good news. Would you understand if some people that hear him say this are a little skeptical? Do you understand why some of your friends are skeptical? Do you feel validated right now that you might have a little skepticism floating around inside of you? I mean, come on. Wars, poverty, oppression, exploitation, racism, xenophobia, the list goes on and on and on. Do you feel like Jesus is all talk and no action? Do you feel like if he really is who he said he is, he should have done more then and he should be doing more now? Those are valid questions. And I want to ask you an honest answer. This is, this is not a, it's a neutral question. I want to ask you a neutral question. What do you want him to do? Do you want God to step in and wipe out evil? Because he did that once. It's the story of the flood. And, and someday we'll, we'll teach the story of the flood because it's an incredible story that it has a lot of things that we may not realize. But, but so often, uh, maybe as kids, we love that story because it's got some animals in it. But as adults, we read that story. And that's not really a story that causes us to worship God. That's the one that makes us step back and go, he's kind of a monster. Because we go, well, okay, look, look, oh, yeah, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> We wish that he would just step in and wipe out evil. And, and we know that he did that once and okay, but we get it. But, but here's the thing. He shouldn't wipe out everybody, just the people that are evil. Well, and you see where I'm going. That's why you're laughing. Evil according to who? Me and me and you sitting in a room talking this out. Cause here's, here's the thing. I bet we're going to agree on, on who's evil and who's not for a bit. Just, just one, one point of observation. What happens in our country every four years? And then, more importantly, how, how tense do conversations get around the office? At home? After church? 
you, you, you see, you see what happens when we disagree. You see, you see the issue. You see what happens when, when humanity wants to step in and define good and evil for ourselves. Because at some point, at some point, we begin to justify the evil that we do to one another because, hey, it's for the greater good. So, uh, someone lashes out at us. We strike back with an arsenal of words that we know will devastate and lay waste to their soul, making sure that they will never talk to us like that again. And then we say out loud or maybe just to ourselves, hey, pff, I'm just, I'm just protecting myself. See, people do this with words and nations do this with weapons. The only difference, the only difference between what we often call justice and injustice, well, it's which side of the fight we're on. And right now you're thinking of probably a dozen examples from your own life or from your Twitter feed that proves, well, I mean, that's, that's just how the world works. And that causes you to either feel a disturbing sense of hopelessness or the desire to just help the people around you understand, ah, that's just how things are. Again, it just depends on which side of the fight you're on. Depending on if, if we're the ones being hurt or, or if we and those who, who, who think like us are the ones doing the hurting. For the greater good, of course. Because it's the the lesser of two very unfortunate options, of course. Because, well, that's just how the world works. If if what works only breaks our will, if what works only breaks our relationships, if what works only breaks our country, if what works only breaks our planet, am I insane to suggest that maybe that's not how things are supposed to work because they don't seem to be working. Maybe we need a new way of working out our problems, a new way of expressing our very real pain. Maybe we need a new way of even stewarding our, our, our blessings and our resources. Maybe we need a new set of rules under a new ruler. Maybe a ruler who is compassionate and gracious with us whenever we don't live up to the rules. A ruler who, if you're weary from the burdens of a broken world, he he invites you personally to come to him. A ruler whose first order of business is not to, to, to burden you further with this long list of things that you need to immediately get it to work and fix these things in yourself and then get to work fixing these things out in the world. No, no, no. A ruler whose first order of business is to invite you to find rest for your soul. A ruler who says, the first thing that you're going to do for me is do nothing for me. Nothing but just be with me. A ruler who, who, who starts restoring the world by starting with restoring your soul. A ruler who says, Whoo, now look, <laughs> I've got some amazing things that you're going to do. But I'm going to do them with you. I'm going to be with you every step of the way because I promise that I will never leave you. And in fact, I will be with you to the very end of time, the very end of the age. Now, if you've never read or heard the story of the good news of the kingdom of God, you should know that everything I just told you, I just ripped it off from Jesus. Straight plagiarism. 
because I want to give you a glimpse into life in the kingdom of God under the reign of King Jesus. Because this is the life that he's inviting you to live. You in? You in? See, our our world is in desperate need of a different way under a different ruler. But, 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 But we want to know, what does this different way look like? And what does this ruler ask of us? Well, for one thing, he does not want us to wait another second to step into life in his kingdom. Look at Mark 1.15 with me again. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near, he said. Repent and believe the good news. There's, there's this scholar uh, that, that he's kind of devoted himself to the, to the gospel of Mark, and, and that's his area of, 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 of expertise, devotion, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and his name's R.T. France. And you know that he's got to be really smart and really important because he doesn't even use his first name. It's R.T. France, okay? And, and, and when you read R.T. France's commentary on this passage, he, I mean, he really nerds out. He really nerds out specifically on the use of present tense verbs in this, in this verse, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. And as you read this, I mean, you're like, wow, this guy is so excited. And the truth is, France is excited because he wants his readers to get excited about what Jesus is excited about, which is something not that is eminent and something that is coming and something that is one day and someday that's going to be, hey, that's the payoff for enduring all of this stuff now. No, 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 no. This is something that Jesus says has come past tense. It's already happened. It's here and it is yours. That's why France is so excited because, and that's why this is good news. See, good news is one word in Greek, euangelion. It's a fun word to say. So it's easy to remember euangelion. It's a word that, that like so many others, it's taken on additional meaning over time. But in Jesus's world, euangelion, good news, or what we sometimes say gospel, same word, It was a royal decree, an announcement of what the king had accomplished. So when the king would win a great battle, defeating a great enemy, they they, they would send messengers throughout the land to spread the, the good news, to proclaim the gospel. The king has won. The enemy has been defeated. It's time to celebrate that life has begun under his rule and his reign. See, Jesus says the gospel, the good news, the euangelion, is that the kingdom of God has come near. Tim Mackey, co-founder of the Bible Project, notes that Jesus only uses the phrase good news in connection with the arrival of the kingdom of God. And there's this other guy that wrote a commentary on the, on the gospel of Matthew. His name's Michael Wilkins, and he affirms it like this. He says, at the core of all Jesus's teaching and preaching is the message of the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew uses the noun gospel, euangelion, only four times and three of them occur in the phrase, the gospel of the kingdom. The real good news is that the age of the kingdom of God has finally dawned in the ministry of Jesus. Three of the four uses, it's right there in that direct phrase, the gospel of the kingdom. Now, if you're here and you're wondering, Paul, I really wish you would pause and take some time and tell us about that fourth time that the word euangelion is used in Matthew. I got your back, okay? We're going to go there. (laughs) The more I've sat with this story this week, it's quickly moving up to become one of my favorite stories because it's found in Matthew 26. 
And it's the story of when a questionable woman pours perfume oil on the head of Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. I'm giving you a lot of Bible trivia today. Do you know who pours oil on people's heads in the Bible? Prophets and priests. The prophet priest Samuel pours oil on the head of David as to do what? To announce him king of Israel. It's a symbol declaring his rule and his reign. So when this questionable woman pours oil, when she, when she plays the role of prophetess and priestess, when she pours oil on the head of Jesus, she becomes the kingmaker. She is proclaiming the kingdom has come. Jesus is the king and I am making him king of my life. Jesus lets this happen in spite of the objections. Oh, if he only knew who this woman was. And then he, he lets it happen. And he turns to everyone around him and he says, truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. When Jesus says this gospel He's talking about this questionable woman declaring him king and her desire to live as a citizen of his kingdom. We remember her so that we can be like her. But what has this woman heard? What has this woman seen that, that, that makes her believe that he is king and more importantly, makes her want to make him king and live under his rule? Well, Matthew, the, the way Matthew lays out his story, Jesus announces the good news in, in chapter four. From that time on, this is Matthew's way of saying, get ready, because from this moment on in this story, 49 more times, you're about to hear this phrase. So get ready. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Because the new kingdom has come, the, the first step in living the new way of life it's to let go of the old way of life. This word repent, it sounds like this really scary religious word. It's actually kind of boring because in Hebrew and Greek, it just means to turn. <laughs> to turn, kind of a boring word, but specifically it means to turn away from one thing to turn towards something better. So if you're heading to, to a friend's place uh, uh, after church today and you realize that you're going down the wrong road, well, what do you do? You turn, you repent. If you want to be really holy, you can just, you can go, shuv. That's the Hebrew word. <laughs> Again, it's not that scary. Jesus' statement isn't meant to be condemning. It's not meant to be scary. It's meant to be liberating. Because if you're going the wrong way and you turn and go the right way, well, you're headed in the right direction and your life is a whole lot better. Once you've been liberated from your old life, uh, life before you took him up on his offer that he lays out in chapter four, Jesus invites you into a new chapter of your life. One that looks like the next few chapters in Matthew's gospel. See, Matthew five through seven is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus climbs up on this mountain, gets a whole crew of people, and he starts talking to them. This is where Jesus lays out, this is what life looks like in my kingdom. And it, we don't have time to, to be honest with you. What I probably should do is just stop, open up my Bible and start reading Matthew 5, 1, all the way through the end of chapter seven. But don't worry, that's going to be a part of your homework. I won't rob you. You're good. 
But Jesus says things like, look, hey, the rest of the world, in the rest of the world, mm, let's, 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 let's talk about it like this. Unlike the rest of the world, it ain't the high and mighty. It's not those who have it all together who belong or who's, who, who this kingdom belongs to. No, no, no. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that feel like they're, they're, they're poor. They have a lack of faith. Blessed are those that feel like they just, they just don't have it in them to take another step forward. Blessed are the broken. Theirs is the kingdom. To the one who refuses to cut corners uh, to get ahead at work or at school. And then you're met with people that come around you and go, come on, everybody fudges their expense report. Hey, come on, everybody does this whenever they're taking a test. Come on, so you start getting persecuted for that? Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because they choose to live the right way. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus will go on to say in verses 21 and 22 that that the kingdoms of this world, they've got this really great rule. Don't murder. Great rule. Let's live by that rule. But he says, in my kingdom, the goal is to get to the root of the problem and and to get our anger under control. A few verses later, Jesus will talk about, yeah, you know, other kingdoms, they do put a premium, and we should. They put a premium on not committing adultery. But, but, in, but in my kingdom, we get to the heart of the problem. And we do anything and everything to eliminate and destroy lust. We get rid of anything in our lives that would cause our eyes to wander where they should not roam. And at the end of chapter 5, Jesus acknowledges the fact that, hey, come on. Some people will set themselves up against you. Some people will be your enemy. But Jesus says, when that happens, when when, when you're in my kingdom, we don't fight back, we love back. Instead of giving them a piece of our mind, we pray and we ask God to give us, us his peace to guard our minds and for his peace to reign in our enemies' hearts and maybe change their minds to get them to shove, to turn back to us and reconcile. My friends, this is life in the kingdom. You in? You want in on a life that doesn't hold on to anger, that isn't ruled by resentment and and isn't destroyed by lust? Do you want in on a movement that puts its arms around people whose spirits are broken and, and reminding them that the kingdom of God is a place of rest and restoration? Keep on reading on into chapter six, where Jesus says in his kingdom, his kingdom is one that is defined by sacrificial generosity. It's it's a place where people give to those in need so that they can be reminded you are seen and you are loved and you too are an image bearer of God. And Jesus will shoot you straight. He just comes right out and says it. (laughs) He calls money a master, i.e., a king that we, that we are often tempted to let rule our lives. He warns us, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You, <clears throat> you cannot have two kings. You cannot serve the king God or king money. It doesn't work. They have different goals, different values, different definitions of what and who is valuable. 
He warns us that when we serve money, we, we serve a relentless master that always demands more of us. And the only thing it ever gives us is more worry and more stress about how to serve and maintain it. So what does he do? He ends chapter six by reminding us that God feeds the birds and he clothes the fields in wildflowers more beautiful than the most royal robes. Jesus reminds us that God, God values us and he loves us more than the birds, more than the flowers. And so he says, hey, therefore I tell you, chill. Do not worry. Do not worry. Now listen to me. You can wrestle to get your budget under control and please do, but you don't have to live in worry over it. You can, and you absolutely should plan for the future, but you don't need to panic about it. Not in his kingdom. And at the end of all this, this chapter anyway, once Jesus tells us what to let go of, he tells us what to seek with all of our heart and take hold of. He says, but seek first what? The kingdom, his kingdom, God's kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. See, Jesus always brings it back to his tagline. Always brings it back. He's Everything is driving towards, uh, driving us towards <laughs> life in the kingdom. Now, understand something about that, the last part of that verse. All these things will be given to you as well. See, what Jesus assumes when, when he says this, he assumes two chapters into the story of life in his kingdom that you've let go of every other kingdom. So when he says this, he assumes that you will trust him to give you everything you need when you need it. You will trust that, that if he does not give it to you, you don't need it. He trusts that all you want is what he wants. He assumes that you trust that he is king, he is good, and you are loved. So he trusts that when you find yourself in a season where life is hard, and hope don't just feel far away, it feels non-existent. He trusts that you believe he will never leave you. He will never leave you on your own. Why? Because you believe the good news. Because you know the kingdom has come near. It has come near to you. My friends, this is life in the kingdom. You in? Do you want in? Now look, I, I keep asking you, if you're in, but I want to end today by telling you why I'm in. And let me, let me, let me just, let me just make it clear. It's not because Sheree, my wife, it's not because Sheree and I have some fat bank account. It's not because I don't ever do anything that makes her lose her temper and say mean things or vice versa. It's not because my car never breaks down. Uh, it's definitely not because my body hasn't just all of a sudden started to break down ever since I turned 40. A lot of amens on that one. It's, it's, it's not because my job is perfect. It's not because my, my job performance is perfect. It's not because the story of my life is anything to be in awe of. It's because the story of Jesus is. So I want to, I just want to tell you about him and I want to give you a glimpse into, into, in, into how my mind operates. 
I want to tell you why I'm in. And I'm going to spoil the ending, all right? Here's the ending of this story. I'm in because he's in. See, see the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible begins in Genesis chapter 1. And Genesis chapter 1 tells us that the Spirit hovered over the waters in the darkness of chaos. But God spoke. And, and creation exploded and he made a beautiful world of order. God reveals himself as creator, but he does not call himself king. Rulers are mentioned in Genesis 1, but it's not him. In fact, here's another piece of Bible trivia. Where's the first time that God takes on any kind of a, of a kingly role, a kingly status? Where's the first time that he is proclaimed as king and he allows it? Exodus 15. That's way into the story. Way into the story. And here's why, I, here's why I belabor this. Because on page one, he doesn't call himself king. Instead, he, he creates these funny little creatures called humans. And he gives them a royal status as his image bearers. And he appoints them to rule. Page one of the Bible reveals a God who delights in sharing power. Don't tell me that the God of the Bible is controlling and manipulative because he's a God that gives away power. He's a God who the desire of his heart is to co-rule this world, his kingdom. But you know what happens. Page three, the story introduces us to the tempter who gets the best of us. We fail the test to trust God uh, in God's good rule and we take what we want. So God gives us what we want life outside of his kingdom and the freedom to rule our own kingdom. And we do a horrible job from day one. It starts with, we hurt our family. But then as you keep reading, we start building cities to protect us from people because we think that they're going to retaliate and hurt us back. Oh, and it gets worse because then we go on to build empires so that we can conquer other nations. And one of those empires enslaves God's people, but God hears their cries and he liberates them from oppression. He leads them to a mountain where he makes a covenant with them, like a husband and a wife. And he says, I want to tell you about life with me as your king and life in my kingdom while we're on this mountain. Oh, and it's so good. But then we go back down the mountain and we go back to the way that we've always done things. And, 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 and we, we immediately find ourselves wanting and creating oppressive kings. And I'm truncating the story. I've skipped over a lot and I'm going to skip over a lot, but you get it. This cycle repeats over and over again in this book. And it repeats over and over and over again in every history book of every people that you've ever read. The cycle just continues. Until one day, until one day, there's this man who steps into a body of water called the Jordan River, and he's baptized. And when he comes out of the water, Matthew 3, 16 and 17, it tells us that the spirit hovered over him and hovered over the water like a dove. Oh, and God spoke and God spoke a royal title over this man. In this moment, this man brings about a new creation. Oh, and then the very next story, it shows this man in the wilderness being tested by the tempter. 
tempted to take his power, focus it on turning some rocks into bread so that he could take and eat for himself. But this man succeeded where humanity failed. This man defeated the darkness by defeating Satan and sin in in the wilderness. Now remember, euangelion, a royal decree of what the king has done. The great enemy has been defeated by the great king. If we're reading Matthew and Mark, we're going, wait, 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 wait. Where's the battle? The battle was won in the wilderness. That's why this is good news. That's where Jesus proves once and for all that he is king and he is God. Because he makes good on his word by becoming the word made flesh. The king wins the great battle at the beginning of Matthew 4. And then what? what's the next story? From that time on, he began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. See, the story of Jesus maps perfectly. And by perfectly, I mean he does it perfectly. It maps onto the story of the Bible, the story of God saying, I love you. And us saying, mm, I kind of love you, but I also love myself and the kingdoms that I can create. The story of Jesus tracks on and he is the perfect human. Oh, oh, oh but, but remember, remember what God does at the end of Genesis one, the, the, the co-ruler thing. Hmm. After Jesus proclaims the good news, the very next story, he goes for a walk. He goes for a walk and he calls some disciples to come follow him so that he can teach them the ways of the kingdom so that they can spread his kingdom and be co-rulers with him. But it gets better because you turn the page and the next story, he goes up onto that mountain, Matthew 5 through 7. And he tells them about life in the kingdom. Do you see? He maps perfectly onto the story. He is good and he is God. In Matthew 5 through 7, it's Jesus teaching the ways of the kingdom. But you keep reading. In Matthew 8 through 9, is Jesus doing the work of the kingdom. See, Jesus models life in the kingdom so that we know how to live life in his kingdom. But we mess up throughout the story. And he keeps coming back and he keeps restoring us. He eventually dies the death that we should have died, but he's raised to life again on the third day. And after he restores everybody, what does he do? Oh, he goes back up to another mountain where it all began. And he says, go into all the world and do what? Spread the good news. Just tell them the kingdom of God is at hand. You can do this because I've done it. The same spirit that raised me from the dead is the same spirit that will, that will inhabit your mortal body. Now I'm, I'm putting the words of Paul on the lips of Jesus, but you know what I'm saying. We can do this because he did it. There's this wonderful quote from Tim Mackey. You, you got to hear this. It's incredible. Tim Mackey, I, I, I mentioned him earlier. He says, God so closely binds himself to humans in the incarnation of Jesus that he, meaning Jesus, becomes the human we were made to be. And here's the most important part. And then through him, we become the humans we were made to be. Not by might, nor by power, nor by good efforts, nor by perfection. No, 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 no. Through him, through the spirit of God, who raised Christ from the dead, that gives life to our mortal bodies. This is why my, my favorite Christmas verse comes in John 1. 
the word became flesh and he dwelt, he lived, he suffered, he sweat, he slept, he endured, he went through it all among us because the kingdom is among us. See, I'm in, I'm all in because he's all in. So before we close in prayer, and as we go into this final prayer, you in? Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the story of your love. Jesus, we thank you for the story of your life, which is the story of God's love in real time, in our world, flesh and bones and blood, a lot of blood, Because to quote the great Tim Keller, the late great Tim Keller, you lived the life that we should have lived and you died the death that we should have died. Oh, but more importantly, you didn't stay dead. You stepped into new life so that we could step into new life. You broke the doors wide open, set the doors on fire, so that the the doors are wide open for us to enter your kingdom. So I pray anyone in this room who's never taken you up on your offer, I pray that today they would they would be in. Lord, for those of us who 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 we are your disciples and we've we've said, Oh, we're in. To borrow from C. S. Lewis, I pray that we would go further up and further in. Further up onto the mountain to sit at your feet. to let the beauty of life in your kingdom wash over us so that when we come back down the mountain, like the prophet Isaiah says, our feet will be beautiful because our feet are the feet that carry the good news that the kingdom of God has come near. I pray that every single one of us would carry that good news into our homes, onto our jobs, into our classrooms, every day this week and every day for the rest of our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. So I have just a couple of quick pieces of homework for you. First one, I already gave it away. Read Matthew 5 through 7. It's it's just a couple of chapters. I want to invite you to read that uh, this week. And I want to invite you to read all three chapters once a day. Just sit and read it in one sitting. It's really fast. And it's a really easy read. It's some of the easiest Bible you're ever going to have. I'm not asking you to read Leviticus 14, okay? Like this is super straightforward stuff and it's immediately applicable stuff. I want you to read it and I want you to allow yourself to pause whenever you come to something that makes you go, ooh, I could do that better and have grace for yourself. I could do that better because what I want you to do after you're, after you've read it, homework number two, I want you to pray Matthew 5 through 7. Whatever it is that made you pause, whatever made you realize, oh, crud, I'm doing so good in these areas, but man, that area right there, mm, I do that like I still live in the old kingdom. Father, help me to live life in your kingdom. Help me to treat, fill in your blank, like you want me to treat it. Help me to treat it in a way that, that perfectly maps on to this portion of Matthew 5 through 7. Read it and then pray it. 
And then I want to invite, I want to invite you to, to go one step further. And I want you to spend some time this week and reflect on why you're in. Reflect on why you're in. And here's why I want you to do this. Because there's this, we, we, we used a potentially scary word already, uh, repent. And we, and we saw, oh, it doesn't have to be that big a deal. There's another word that sometimes makes our skin crawl. Get ready. Evangelism. <laughs> Proselytization. <laughs> you don't have to be obnoxious. All you have to do is just tell them why you're in. And here's the thing. If, if you read Matthew 5 through 7, and I got to tell you, like this is homework because this was like, I so need to do this. If we read Matthew 7 and then we pray Matthew 7, chances are we're going to start to live Matthew 5 through 7. And, and I say this with all grace because I'm saying it about myself too. What if, what if we lived the kinds of lives to where we didn't have to tell people, we didn't have to make the first move. People go, what's gotten into you? What's up with you? And then all we do is we just simply answer their question. Well, let me, let me, tell, you, let me tell you why I'm in. So reflect on that this week. And do all three of these, these, that, all three of these this week. And see what happens. See how you change. And see how the world around you changes. Our verse for the week. Jesus' tagline, Matthew 1.15. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God in his, in his vernacular. The kingdom of God has come near. That verse, as well as the graphic for this week, are going to be available to download uh, in a few days or maybe even later today. I'm not sure. Download those. Use them however you want as a reminder, as an instigator, whatever, whatever you want to do. Use them to your advantage this week. Troy? Stay with me. Thanks for coming to church today, friends. I want to tell you a couple things. First, if you came with a need, there will be people here at the front to pray for you. They'd love to pray for you before you go. If you're watching this online, uh, you can always email us, care at capitalchurch.com as well. Uh, that's the first thing I want to tell you. The second thing, don't forget, we've got a worship night tonight, Tim. You in? Okay. Hope you can join us. Friends, we've got really, really good news. The kingdom of God is available to you now. So, may you turn from your way of doing life and may you trust him for his as you make him your king. Thanks for coming to church today. Grace and peace.